This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I am Dr. James Smith Jr. And welcome to another episode of the Dr. James Show. Now, I'm beginning to feel like a rerun because every week I say, you got a great show for you. This is going to be phenomenal. And I'm going to say it again today. This is going to be a lights out show. Our guest, I can't wait till she comes out. We're going to go there. We're going to go there. A lot of great conversation planned for you. But I'm not going anywhere without my co-pilot, Shannon Pack. What's up? Good afternoon. Do you believe it's been a week? A week has flown by. I know, but you know what? Lots happened in a week. So <laughs> like I, what? Like what, right? <laughs> I mean, just saying, but I don't know. I'm really excited to be here because I know we're going to talk about the week. I know we're going to talk about a lot of things. Um, as usual, welcome, welcome, welcome. Make sure you light up that chat room, ask questions, put your comments in there. We're going to do our best to... Um, you know, to present them to our, our guest. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm just excited over the next hour to uh, to be spending it with you, Dr. James. Hey, keep going. I didn't hear you say it again. Say it again. <laughs> you, ready? You, re- you ready for our guest? Absolutely. I, I think this is, this is going to be a good one. As I said earlier, it's going to be a good one. With that said, Vice President of Program Innovation at Pixera Global, Renee Loper, welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Dr. James. <laughs> Good afternoon. How are you? I am excellent. How are you? Hey, couldn't be better. People, people ask me all the time, how are you doing? I always say, I woke up. I there woke you go. up. After that, worse. it's gravy. It's gravy. <laughs> Usually on the show, I uh, ask questions to get things warmed up, take my time and ease into it. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> take, take me to Saturday. Take me to when you found out what was trending and that history was about to be made. Take us back. What were you doing? What were you feeling? I'm diving in. Let's go. Hold on. Let me, let me hold my nose so I don't drown. On Saturday, when I heard the news, um, I actually was volunteering at the food bank. So I um, live in central Pennsylvania and I was volunteering at the central Pennsylvania food bank and we were packing up boxes to be distributed around uh, the central part of the state. Mm-hmm. And we were about to leave, our shift was ending and one of the coordinators had the computer screen up. And so all you could see were the numbers. And there was just this sudden warmth that rushed over my body and I could not contain myself. But I said, hold on, we're still inside, we're still with people. And so I made eye contact with the coordinator and we just did like a, a, a hug through our eyes. <laughs> yes. And we just both got so excited and said, oh my goodness, we are here. 
So left, left there and went outside and called on my family and friends. And I did a happy dance in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, what, what, what did that look like? What the heck did that look like? <laughs> you don't want me to, to repeat it here. <laughs> um, but just did a dance in the parking lot. And so I had a moment of just pure joy, pure jubilation, just pure excitement, which I come to quickly learn that was the case around the country, around the world. You know, I saw images of parades breaking out in the street, dances and music and, you know, makeshift festivals, if you will, um, just happening uh, around, around the country and around the world. Um, so it was just a moment of elation. The whole day turned into a day of elation. Specifically though, um, as a black woman, did that land on you differently? Did you have special feelings or? Well, I it know hit when, me. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> I just wanna say when President Obama won um, in 08, it was groundbreaking. I, I never thought that I would see that in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, was that groundbreaking for you from a yeah. emotional, cognitive standpoint? Absolutely. So I think the first part of the joy and elation, you know, from from the news was that we're, we're here, we finally reached a, a decision, um, and things will look like they, you know, will start to shift. And then the second part of it was the part that really hit home. And now, oh. oh, my goodness, we now are on the cusp of having the first woman vice president, who happens to be African American, who happens to be, you know, South Asian, who happens to have gone to an HBCUs, who happens to have all of these things, which you never would have seen. Never, I never thought that I would have seen it um, anytime, anytime in the, in the near future. So to see that, to see her and to see myself um, in her was just, it was emotional. I got very emotional. Tears were shed, tears <laughs> mm. were had, um, but it, there was a moment of clarity and a moment of hope as well. And I think um, if I speak for a lot of the folks in my family and in my circles and my network, I think the hope was um, twofold. One, from a woman perspective, oh my goodness, the world finally sees that women are capable. We can do this. <laughs> We're here. Yeah. Thank you for electing us here. And then the other side of it, I think, was hope in that all of the um, pain that we've endured as a nation for the first part of the year, whether that be COVID-19 related, whether that be the racial injustices, you know, that have happened, um, all of the things that have just unfolded. To me, the announcement just represented a turning point. Um, mm. There is something brighter ahead. And these two individuals are ones to hopefully usher us into that something, that something brighter. So there was a lot packed into the, <laughs> to those moments. Um, and we're still reeling, reeling from it, but it was it was incredible with regard to that a lot ahead we got some healing to do don't we yes 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 we and, and it's funny because i was sharing with my colleagues let's you know bask in this glory if you will for only a short time because just because you elect folks into certain positions doesn't mean that the work is done doesn't mean that all of the problems are solved um, the only thing that it means is we now have two new leaders who we have to hold accountable <laughs> to do what they said they were going to do and make the changes that we know need to, to happen. I think these past four years, without getting too political, 
I think these past four years have really pulled back um, band-aids and scabs that have been, you know, kind of brushed over our nation and they really revealed some of the deep-seated beliefs, um, hatred, division even, that has been there for, for quite some time. And so now that that's amplified, now that that's visible, we can't ignore it, you know, so we have to figure out how do we learn through it and grow from it um, in order to heal and move forward um, for, you know, the entire, the entire nation and the entire world. I think the other thing, and we'll talk a little bit about my experiences in a moment, but, mm -hmm. you know, my, my work has taken, my curiosity and my work has taken me around the world. And I've come to learn that the issues that we're experiencing here and now are not, you know, only U.S. issues. Oh, oh. Issues of race are not just U.S. alone issues. You know, when we think about colonialism and we think about slavery and we think about, you know, all of those um, kind of tools of division, they are global issues. <laughs> you know, they have affected pretty much every country, um, you know, on the planet. So definitely some work some work ahead, to put it lightly. With regard to the healing, personally, do you think it's gonna be a slow process? Do you think it's something that will happen right away? What are your thoughts on the healing and the recovery process? Yeah, great question. I think it has to be a slow process. I'm, I'm leery of um, instant change, instant things, because to me that says, okay, that was the easiest thing that one could have done because the, what they were doing or what they were trying to change is so uncomfortable, they just quickly fixed it. You know, and let's kind of put a Band-Aid on it and brush it under the rug. Um, but divisions such as this, um, issues such as this are so deeply rooted and so terribly uncomfortable for all of us that it has to take a lot of time to unpack, um, yeah. to rebuild. When we think about you know, racism, for instance, if we think about structural racism and systemic racism, those are structures and systems. It's called, you know, structural racism for a reason. Right. So those systems need to be dismantled. They need to be torn down and rebuilt. That will take years, if not decades. Um, I hope to see it in my lifetime. <laughs> I'm sure I'll see some of the benefits of it. But I think the type of recovery and the type of healing that, um, that we're poised to, to take on will take a significant amount of time and a significant amount of uncomfortable time. Yeah. Okay, that's okay. Us being comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's right, that's right. All right. Well, your title says Vice President of Program Innovation at Pixera Global. Tell us about your organization and tell us about what you do as the Vice President of Innovation. Yeah, great question. So Pixera Global, we are based in Washington, DC, and we're an organization that happens to be nonprofit. And we literally sit at the intersection of the public, private, and social sectors, um, really leveraging the best of each to solve complex problems. So all of the problems that, you know, mm -hmm. exposed in the world, um, you know, from, you know, access to clean drinking water, to hunger, to in, uh, issues of gender, to even energy, those type of things. These are big, hairy, nasty, complex problems that will take a lot of players to come together to solve. So oh. our philosophy is that the problems that we face and experience in our communities are likely those that are experienced elsewhere around the world, and they can't be solved in a vacuum. They can't be solved alone. 
So we, we try to bring together the best of the best of the best, the best of everyone from every sector to you know, do their part in solving those complex problems. And so my specific role is sitting at the nexus of all of our departments within the organization. Um, so we have three departments, global pro bono, strategic initiatives and enterprise and community development. And it's really bring, bringing to bear um, the competencies in each of those divisions to come up with what's new, you know, what's, what's on the horizon, how can we better leverage our tools and our tool belts and our resources and our partnerships um, to really, again, tackle some of these complex issues in new and creative and innovative ways. So I say all that to say there's never a dull moment. <laughs> I'm always thinking something. How, how did you get there? How did new. you get there? When you were in college, were you thinking about taking on a role like that? Or what was your path to getting to where you are now? <laughs> a very varied path. Um, I'm just a girl from Westchester, Pennsylvania. I always like to start with that. I'm just a girl from Westchester who was curious, who always knew that there was so much more um, to life, to the world than what I saw in my community, in my family, in my state, um, in my country. And so I allowed that curiosity to fuel me. Um, and I just always ask questions, you know, why is it this way? You know, why are these problems over here that to me, they seem like they could be solved. Why aren't they being solved? And so when I really started to fully understand the power of business in particular, um, I knew that business and all of its resources, the dollars, the, the access to people, talent, the expertise, the capabilities, the ability to reach across borders. I thought that business had a particularly interesting uh, role to play in solving some of those, some of those problems. So that was my driver. And saying, okay, how can I, you know, work within business to solve some of, you know, the problems that we see around the world? I thought for sure that I was going to be the CEO of somebody's company. I was going to have my corner office and I was going to be walking down, you know, Main Street with my heels and my suit and my briefcase. <laughs> that was my vision of red, business. Red bottom, yeah. right? Red bottom, right? That's right. Well, I didn't know about red bottoms then. <laughs> But that was my vision of business. That was my vision of success. You know, that you had to, you had to look like that. You had to sit in that office. You had to have that title CEO in order to do something. And so that's what I, that's what I was striving for um, until I started working in business. <laughs> and then I realized that this is not necessarily for me in this way. Right. So I, I changed, changed, changed careers and kind of went back to grad school um, for counseling, higher education, post-secondary counseling, um, and let my desire to help back to the problem solving, my desire to help and contribute. That kind of drove me through grad school and kind of opened up just the world to me. Now that desire to help, I'm going to read this because I was doing my research and I was on your LinkedIn page. Yes, I was. Uh -oh. <laughs> and you said that I have a particular soft spot in my heart for empowering underrepresented populations through equal access to opportunities. Talk to us about that. That's that soft spot. Yeah. So again, the girl from Westchester um, didn't see a lot of people that looked like me sitting in the seats that I thought I should be sitting in once I grew. So when I talk about business and CEO and that kind of thing, I didn't see a lot of CEOs of color, didn't see a lot of women in those seats. Um, so 
when I thought about, you know, how to get there, I was completely lost. Mm. Had flu. Um, but along my journey, there were certain people that I feel like were placed in my life for a reason. My mentors, angels, if you will, <clears throat> um, teachers, guides, um, who started to look like me and just kind of would nudge, you know, and kind of say, you might want to consider this, or how about this, or would open doors, you know, for whatever opportunity um, that they were aware of. Right. And so I saw the roles that they played and I saw that how I was able to take a step and then another step and then another step. I wanted to be that conduit as well. And then as I started to grow and be exposed to so much more, I realized just how much was out there. And again, how many people just didn't look like me who were out there. So when I travel, even in work today, you know, there aren't a lot of people sitting around the tables, uh, the, the, especially the decision-making tables right. that looked like me. So I made it my mission to be the door opener, you know, to figure out how to create those exposure opportunities and bring people along with me. But then also maybe even equally as important, once I'm sitting at those tables with the decision makers, make decisions that affect those who don't look like me. Because <laughs> often again, they're overlooked. Well, you talk about door openers. Um, my co-pilot is a door opener. Shannon, what's up? Come join this party. Come join the party. <laughs> I literally couldn't keep my hand off of the <laughs> stop video. <laughs> Hi, Renee. Hi, Shannon. So excited to meet you. And um, you know, it seems you've done a lot of work globally. You've lived abroad. And one of the things I read that you had written was when you go to other countries, they see you as an American first and as an African-American woman second. And you said that's a tough pill to swallow. So could you, could you share about that a little bit? Yeah. So when I first moved to Japan, um, I was placed in a, I was there on an exchange program facilitated by the Japanese government to uh, teach English in high schools. And so I was placed in a very rural, small village, if you will, in the countryside <clears throat> in Japan. So if anyone knows anything about Japan or have ever been there, it's largely a homogenous country. So not a lot of diversity there. Mm -hmm. It's placed in my rural little place. Um, I am obviously have brown skin and I'm tall. I'm about 5'10". So I stood out like a sore thumb. <laughs> but I expected to be, you know, labeled and uh, spoken about as, you know, a black woman or an African-American woman, because that's the frame of reference that we speak of in the United States. You know, you're, you're black, you're African-American, but there it was, oh, you're an American. And I was like, oh my goodness, I've never been really called an, just an American first. And it actually felt good. And it made me think back to experiences in the States how we do label everyone, you know, by their race, by their color first, when just an American, <laughs> you know, we're all Americans. So it was eye-opening. Um, and then I went on to learn just how my actions really represented the United States of America. So now, of course, as we, we started to unpack it a little bit and I started to build relationships, they would ask questions that um, were clearly what they saw um, of Blacks on TV, so the representation on television and movies, um, questions such as, do you own a gun? <laughs> oh, Lord. Basketball. Do you rap? <laughs> <laughs> so those were the questions that I would receive, um, you know, after, after some time, but because that's all they saw of Americans, Black Americans um, represented in the media. 
I love it. And I love that you're brave enough to live abroad. Talk about Dr. James being comfortable, being uncomfortable. But one of the things you had mentioned uh, multiple times is curiosity. Um, Was that something you always kind of had, like even as a young girl, or is it something that you learned along your journey professionally and personally? No, I think it's um, something I always had. And it's funny because I was just speaking to my mother yesterday and you know how parents are. She was reminiscing about my first day of school in first grade. (laughs) Why? I don't know. But she was referencing that on my first day of school, first grade, I was taking the school bus home and I didn't get off at my bus stop, but I saw my babysitter. (laughs) My babysitter was at the bus stop waiting for me, but I chose not to get off the bus. And so she was talking about just how panicked she was and how frantic and the principal was out looking for me and everyone was, you know, kind of out trying to find me. But I stayed on the bus because we were going for a ride and I wanted to see where we were going to go. I wanted to explore. So I think that's just in my DNA, <laughs> that yeah. curiosity of what else is next? What is ahead? You know, what else? Mm-hmm. Is <laughs> so it sounds like for you, thanks, Shannon. It sounds like your curiosity superseded your fear. Now I've traveled a lot professionally. I've been to 30 plus countries and I'm in and I'm out. I'm there for a week. I'm there for two weeks and I'm out. You lived in Japan, you lived in Greece. No fear? Oh, absolutely. I had fear. (laughs) Let's not get it confused in the curiosity. It did supersede the fear. It didn't obliterate it. It didn't (laughs) take it away, but it just outweighed the fear. Um, I've learned to live with the fear and which could be good or bad in some instances. But I think, again, the curiosity just on the other side of the curiosity, I've grown so much and there's just, it's been so rewarding. There's been so many learnings, um, so many relationships um, and just so many opportunities that with each step leaning into that curiosity, it gave me more courage, if you will, to lean the next time and the next time. time. Um, The fear is still there, (laughs) but I've learned to, to manage it and to navigate it. How have you leveraged that here? the experiences you had abroad and now here working professionally with nonprofits and just, you know, in the boardroom, C-suite, all that stuff. How have you leveraged those lessons back home? Great question. The first thing that came to my mind was the ability to connect with individuals um, and really from a place of listening. Oftentimes when we think about, you know, working together or, um, and I'm coming from the context of change, you know, cause that's a lot yeah. of work is this problem solving and change. We think about entities, you know, coming together. We think about, we have to partner with this organization or we have to, you know, this business needs to do this, or this government needs to do that. At the end of the day, these are, they're individuals that occupy the seats that collectively make up that entity. So I think one of the biggest things that I've learned from my experiences abroad is just the ability to connect with an individual um, whose language is not like mine, whose culture is not like mine, whose education is not like mine, whose beliefs are not like mine. Um, All of the things, you know, might be different and really find out what's that common, you know, what's the thing that might, you know, bind us together. Maybe it's food, maybe it's music, maybe it's um, color, maybe it's travel. There's something there um, that allows you to connect. 
And I found that most people really just want to be listened to, myself included. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we all want to be heard. We all just want to connect with someone. And so once you kind of get through the nonsense, the noise of the entity and of the stuff and talk to the person, um, it makes life so much more enjoyable. <laughs> it makes things so much you know, easier. I, I'm sure many of uh, our business friends out there probably have heard the saying, you know, people do business with people they like. Yeah. Um, that's so true. It's really about just connecting with the person. You might not have to agree on everything, but there's a, there's a personal connection that cannot be overstated. Good. <laughs> Tell me about a time when you were either in Japan or Greece or someplace abroad where you said, why am I here? This isn't for me. Or you said, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. I'm <laughs> doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Did you have one of those moments, any of those places? Probably daily, both of them. <laughs> <laughs> daily. Um, that is a that's very good question. I would say for Japan and, and Greece, actually, the why am I here moments came when um, I was either homesick <laughs> or the, the pressure of um, not having my comforts got a little, and so then it was, okay, in the moment, in the minutia of the details, it became what I thought at the moment to be too much. Um, but then I would either see a student who would smile. Mm. Or I would hear from, in Greece, for instance, when I worked with um, college students, I would see one, we only had a handful of students of color and I would see one of the students of color who came to me and said, I'm so happy you're here. And it was almost like divine intervention. Like the universe knew I needed reassurance <laughs> mm -hmm. and something would come to say, just hang in there. You're, you're on the right path. You're doing the right thing. Um, just, just tough it out. Um, but then also in those moments, I've come to learn my own voice, if you will. Know, say more, say more. Oftentimes, when I had those why am I here um, experiences, um, I would hear from whether they be advisors or mentors or family members saying, you should do this, you should, you know, stick it out, should, should, should. And I got caught up in the shoulds um, when sometimes, and we all know, you have that feeling in your gut that's like something just isn't right. Mm. You know, maybe this isn't for me or... Yeah maybe the the experience has run its course or what have you um, and there were times when I didn't listen to it and things got worse but then the times that I did listen to it I felt so free I felt so uninhibited um, and when I had those feelings I reflected back on what that voice sounded like um, and come to learn it as my voice and so have learned to lean into it a little bit more again not easy <laughs> not easy to do um, but I've learned to, to listen to it more because no one can tell you, you know, like you, no one knows you like you. And so no one can really tell you what's best for you. That's good. So that's good. We're going to keep going, but the chat room is blowing up. So Shannon, oh what's happening in that chat room is blowing up. So good. <laughs> We, we should take our gifts and talents wherever we may go and share them with the world. Um, somebody else had mentioned that sad that you have to leave your home to learn, not you specifically, but we have to leave our home to learn of our perceived value. But because mm -hmm. of this interpretation of Black Americans is always open for correction and reimagining for others. Renee, mm -hmm. at the right place, at the right time, by no coincidences, but mm -hmm. as a chosen time. 
and, she, oh, and wow. they say they're very proud that you leaned into it with grace. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we also had somebody said that their daughter also lived and taught English, and I'm going to mess this up, uh, Hitoyoshi, um, and, you know, had an amazing experience. Uh, somebody else said, you know what? People want to be valued, and when we listen to them, we open the door to opportunity. Um, but a question, um, you know, what should people know about what motivates you, um, either professionally, personally, in spite of the tremendous amount of resistance I imagine you've come up against? Hmm. I keep going back to the curiosity. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that is my motivator. Um, the the thirst to know more and the thirst to and the thing now as I start to as I get older and start to transition a little bit it's the desire to know that my presence meant something to the world so you know not just kind of the inspiration and kind of checking the box and plugging away but that there is a legacy of sorts so that my gift has made room for you know others to do what they need to do or to you know exercise their their gifts or realize their gifts so i feel like i'm fueled by purpose uh, more so than passion um Ooh. in previous years and so i think just that curiosity paired with that desire to really um have a lasting legacy and have a lasting impact is kind of what keeps me keeps me going now can it be for those of us who aren't naturally curious like myself i'm just not um and for the audience today, is there something that, can we learn it? I don't know. <laughs> like, is there something we could ask ourselves every day that like could help us learn and kind of default, be a magnetic force towards a question or something that would make yeah. us? What do you think? Do you think the same? Is it, can we learn it? <laughs> I think it's an and both. I think we would have to be very intentional, very learned. We would have to want it and understand why we want it. Yeah. I believe the why drives us to the what and the how. Yeah, I agree with you, Dr. James. I think it's the intention behind it because if it's something that someone is saying you should do this or you should ask this, then it doesn't mean it won't resonate as much you know, with you. But I think that um, we each have the ability to find that driver for us. So maybe it's not curiosity in the same way that my curiosity has shown up, but I think there is a, that internal innate compelling driving force that each of us has that you might need to just tag into that might open up other things. Maybe it's writing, maybe it's expression, maybe it's music, maybe it's reading, maybe it's cooking. There's something there that does kind of give you the same, I think, the same um, level of learning and satisfaction and connection that my curiosity has done for me. Yeah. And do you think people are waiting for that, you know, thus saith versus just trying? Sometimes you just got to step out. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes I think, because you talked about before it was, you were driven by passion, but passion, it's great to have passion, but sometimes that's motivated by emotions and feelings. Do you yes. think sometimes we're just waiting for that, that tap on the shoulder or that dream, that vision? And maybe it doesn't come like that for all of us. Yes. Right? Don't wait. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how I can be down, Renee. That's all I'm trying to <laughs> Don't wait. I think, and Shannon, you made a, an excellent point. I think all too often we're waiting for something. We're waiting for the thus saiths, or we're waiting for the signs, or we're waiting for instruction or someone to say you should. And what I've also come to learn is we're waiting for permission, but mm. you for self-permission. That could preach. <laughs> you really have to give yourself permission. You know, when we look back, at just how quickly time is going, 
I'm always one at the end of the year. And I look back and I said, oh my God, another year has passed. And that I would have just worked out a little bit every day. Or imagine if I would have just written a little bit every day, or imagine if I would have just whatever the thing is, I would you know, have a whole year under my belt and I've been so much farther you know, along. Um, but even to, to make it broader, I had an experience um, in Japan where I wanted to leave. And so at the end of my assignment, I had the opportunity to stay in Tokyo and I should, someone said, you should stay. So I stayed and I was so unhappy. Came home, I met with one of my mentors and she said, just give yourself permission. You don't have to stay if you don't want to. And you would have thought like the, the heaven opened up and the birds came down and the angels were dancing around when all she said was, if you don't want to, don't do it. And I'm thinking, it's that simple, really? So that level, that lesson was so powerful to me is give yourself permission. Mm. <laughs> Just that simple. Shannon, I see you taking notes in your head. <laughs> all the out of you have space for all these nuggets. <laughs> in my pocket. I have a 12 piece by the end of the show. <laughs> piece at this piece i'm like i'm like I'm some dipping sauce renee's bringing <laughs> <laughs> thank you Shannon. renee i was reading something that you wrote and it said knowing the difference between the ability to do something and actually doing something what's that about what were you thinking when when you were talking about that yeah Similar to what I had just mentioned, it's <clears throat> for me, I'm I I think the earlier part of my life, you know, in college and in, in grad school, and even in my earlier working years, I was one that's like, if I can do something, that means I have to do it. Meaning, you know, if I can, you know, get this job, or if I can travel, or if I can get a degree, or if I can do whatever it is, then I should do it because I have the ability to do it. Um, because I would always think about there's so many people that, you know, we hear it from our parents. There's so many people that are more, you know, less fortunate than we are. And there's so many people that, who don't have or, or what have you. So I felt like it was a waste of the gifts or the waste of the opportunity or the waste of um, just the potential if I didn't do it. But I realized in doing that, taking that approach, it was so much pressure because then it went back into the shoulds. It went back into, you know, if I've done something because I could do it, is my heart in it? Do I really, do I really want to do it? Am I doing it because society says I should do it? Um, am I doing it because my parents say that I should do it? Um, and then when I really started having those heart to hearts, again, I realized that I just needed to give myself permission to do or not do, you know, whatever it is that I felt in my gut. And then that just changed, that was a game changer. That very simple lesson um, was a game changer for me. And so having the ability is one thing, but then actually making the conscious decision to do or not do is something else. Um, and so I, I try to uh, live by that, one of that, you know, one of those pillars as a motto. You said you live by that in terms of actually living. Who are you impressed with or who do you admire? What do you read? What fuels you? How do you get fed? You, you're extremely accomplished. You've done an awful lot. Somebody or something is pouring into you, continuing mm -hmm. to pour into you. How do you get fed? Great question. You are really good with your questions. <laughs> Dr. James. <laughs> say that again, say that again. I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. 
Good questions. I am fed from a variety of different sources. Um, and I kind of am like a, I go through these phases. So there's periods of my life where I read a lot. I'm a voracious reader. I might have, you know, seven books going at different times. Um, right now I don't, <laughs> but there are periods when I, I do. Right now, I think my nourishment, um, because there's so much noise, um, there's so much rhetoric out there. Um, it's a bit of an information overload. So reading is actually a little more stressful for me at the moment. So I, I think I am fed by women in particular that I look at and I see them simply being themselves. And it sounds very simple, but for instance, uh, I'll give you an example. I'm not sure if you're familiar with a woman by the name of Caroline Wanga. She was the- It sounds familiar, yes. Former um, chief diversity officer for Target and has now- Yes, in, yes, yes. I've seen her TED Talk. In term of essence. And I just happened to catch her on a YouTube video. And she, you know, on, on site, she is very much herself. So very eccentric, has, you know, bold yeah. colors and her glasses and her hair. But when I saw that, I said, oh my gosh, here is a beautiful Black woman who is simply being herself and she's still the chief diversity officer and she's still in the C-suite and she's still all of these things. I think society has taught us for so long that you have to look a certain way, you have to button up and wear gray, wear your pearls. I like pearls, that's <laughs> But you have to wear they your look pearls. They look good, <laughs> <laughs> You have to, you can't, you know, wear your braids. You can't do certain things in order to be taken, you know, one way or the other. In order to be taken seriously, you have to look a certain way. So when I saw her, it's, like game changing. There's another woman, the Sunda Duckett, who was uh, CEO of one of JP Morgan Chase's banks. Powerful black woman. She has her braids, she has her hair, she has her glasses. I say all that to say powerful women who are simply being themselves and their space created for them. That is what has been fulfilling me. And especially now. So when you ask about Kamala Harris, <laughs> all different, like, okay, <laughs> game on. But just simply seeing myself reflected in, you know, positions of, of achievement, if you will, have been quite rewarding and fulfilling. As you were talking, I was thinking about the person who introduced us, who was on the show a few weeks who ago. Who was another. U U Uva yes. Coles. Uva <laughs> Coles. Uh, wow. Thoughts about Uva? I was going to say Uva is right next there. You got Caroline, you have, the, you have Uva <laughs> right there in a row because Uva is unapologetically, authentically herself. Again, inspiring, you know, person who shows up in her full self um, and just the presence. And I think that's the other thing, just their sheer presence is, is, is enlightening. You know, it's, it's game changing and it's, it's inspiring. How do you share you? It sounds like you were volunteering on Saturday. I know you probably have some mentees that you pour into. How do you share your gift with others? What are some of the things you do? Great question. Write, I like to write. I need to get back into it. <laughs> I like to write. You may have somebody who kind of helped out with that. <laughs> just saying, just saying. <laughs> no, I, I like to write and I'm much more of a one-on-one -on -one kind of giver. So I like to share, you mentioned mentees. I do have quite a few, you know, mentees that I like to build relationships with and kind of give in that way. I think another way that I like to give is anonymously. 
So I like to do things for people and they don't know that it came from me um, or was something that was least expected, um, not because it's a holiday or a birthday or there's some event, but just because one, they're on my mind or in my heart or my spirit where I felt led you know, to do that. Um, and then the other way that I don't know, you'll have to tell me and maybe our viewers who, who know me will have to tell me, <laughs> I try to, again, the same way that those women that I just mentioned inspire me, I try to show up and be myself. And I hope that that gives to others. I hope just that sheer presence does encourage others to, to be themselves um, and tap into you know who they are. That's good stuff. Good That's stuff. my hope. <laughs> Let, let's rewind a little bit and go back through the through this year. It's certainly been unprecedented. A lot's going on politically, social, racial, and just and justice. Um, just a lot of ups and downs. Pandemic. With your zeal for curiosity and purposefulness and passion, how did you navigate through all that this year? What did you do? Curious in a new way. I got curious in a different way. Um, <laughs> so I think previously, you know, my curiosity equated to travel. It equated to I have to go out and explore, you know, different um, countries and, and that kind of thing. But because we couldn't do that, um, I think my curiosity revealed itself through books. So like I, I mentioned, I kind of went through a period of reading. I literally had a seven books going at one time. <laughs> So I would say, um, you know, it kind of showed up that way. But then the other thing I think I'm grateful for with the first part of this year is I was forced to stop. Like many of us, we just had to pause for a minute. So I, I sat still, I stayed in my home, I reconnected with family, I reconnected with friends, I reconnected with myself. Um, again, there was a lot of noise out there. Um, and many of you I'm sure can agree that it's so easy to go on autopilot. You know, yeah. when you're going, you just keep going. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, you know, we're so involved in everything and then months have gone by. But by doing, you know, by having to just sit still for a moment um, and reconnected with myself, I really, again, that voice came back up and I really just tapped into who I was and what did I want my next couple of years to look like? So I think before you even ask it, <laughs> you know, it's coming. <laughs> I think in the future, I really um, want to reconnect with the communities here in the States, in the U.S. So again, before you talk about what fueled me, it was not seeing people who look like me when I travel. Um, well, how do I create, you know, I can create open doors in other places where I am. But how do I help the folks where I am to get ready to seize those opportunities? How do I inspire and motivate, especially now, you know, when there's a lot of healing that needs to take place and a lot of just um, confusion and question and anger, if you will, um, how do I help restore? So I see myself reinvesting in communities right here where I am, right here in the States, right here in Philly, um, you know, to, to, I think that's where my, I'm being called to do. Just a girl from Westchester, huh? Just a girl from Westchester. We're going to put that girl from Westchester on the hot seat right now. Ooh. It's that time. It's that time. <laughs> the time where I give you one word and I like a one word answer. What comes to mind when you hear that word? Okay, I'm ready. Commitment. Purpose. Passion. Heart. Politics. Oh. <laughs> Uh, 
That's my word. <laughs> Healing. Necessary. Ministry. Hmm. Called. Race. Power. Travel. Love. Family. Everything. Now. 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 You are off the hot seat. <laughs> <laughs> now is now. The time is now. <laughs> and the time is now to bring Shannon back out here. Hot seat. Shannon, chat room. What's going on with you? Questions? What's up? Renee, with reconnecting with yourself as it stands as of today, what is your, what are you most proud of? And where's an area you want to grow? Hmm. Which one do you choose, huh? <laughs> yeah. I want both. I want to know <laughs> proud of as it stands today, all you've been through. What is your what are you most proud you of? With all of my experiences and everything, what am I most proud of? What you're just most proud of. And then you know, what are you gonna focus on as a growing opportunity moving forward yeah. with all reconnecting with yourself? I think I'm most proud of, and it takes me back to a question, Dr. James, that you had asked um, in the very beginning. And it was, you know, the curiosity and the fear. So I think I'm most proud of, you know, allowing that curiosity to lead me and fighting through the fear. I think one of the things that I would love for people um, to take away is it's not easy. It's not easy. You know, I often get when people say, oh, you've traveled and you travel by yourself and you do all these things like you just are amazing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I am the scared girl from Westchester. <laughs> <laughs> It's not easy, but I think we have so much power within us that we have to harness it in the right way and allow it to propel us, um, you know, to, to go where we want to go. So I would say allowing curiosity to lead the way is, is one of the things that I'm most proud of. And I think, where am I going from here? Shannon, good question. Um, I would say being that woman that I mentioned. So when I gave you the lineup of the Carolines and the Vasundas and the Uvas is working toward becoming that woman. And I won't know the answer. I don't know that I'll ever know that if I've, I've arrived or accomplished it, but if I can strive toward that, then that's what that's what I would aim for. And you already took my next question because I was gonna say, how will you know? What will it feel like? What will you be thinking? What will you be doing? Where will you be? Yeah, I think that's the beauty though. I don't know that I wanna know because I feel like once you know, once you're satisfied, once I'm satisfied, I'll stop striving. So I don't know that I want to know, <laughs> but I know I want to keep working toward that, that thing. And the thing is just the reference to know that, you know, I'm putting myself in a position to hopefully inspire um, women the way that they have inspired me. Love it, love it. Shannon, I, I see the chat room moving. What's happening there? <laughs> My favorite girlfriend, Cecily Wilson, wants to know, you know, we hear it all the time, you know, what do you know for sure? So she'd like to ask you what P word would has had a profound from you in your life. She said, what P word has had the most profound role in your life? And Cecily has written a book called, she said the P word. Oh, okay. is about the P word, purposefulness, posse, passion, pivot. What wow. P word, power, what P word has had the most profound role in your life? And I, shared the question again and give you some time to think. I was dancing, I know. <laughs> I was dancing for you. I was dancing for you. Thank you for dancing. You did a great job. 
Oh, there's so many. Um, and I didn't want to say any of the ones that you just said, <laughs> but I would say positioning. Mm. Positioning probably has, has been uh, the most profound for me. Um, and when I say positioning, I think of, um, so I don't know if, if you're familiar with, um, I think it's, I don't know who made up this quote, but I always hear it attributed to Oprah. And she would say, you know, success is when opportunity meets preparation. Yeah, P word. P word, preparation, right? <laughs> so when I think about positioning, it's about doing the preparation work to get yourself in position to do whatever it is that you wanna do. Um, and so whatever that is, it's not necessarily the checkbox, you know, a position or title or whatever it is, it could be saving money to, to buy your house. It could be, you know, buying the workout clothes to then go work out. It could be whatever, it is, but you got to get yourself in position to realize the goals that it is that you have for yourself. And they're not always about things, um, but just the mental goals even, but you have to get yourself in the right mindset and the right position for it. So I think that's been the most um, moving for me. Good question. <laughs> <laughs> the question comes from this particular book. She said the P word. Excellent. Add that, add that to your, your list of seven, right? I will. Let me write it down right now. <laughs> <laughs> and anything else? Any, any chat room or question from you? Now or is the time Somebody said now time to try something new and be open to change as a way to propel yourself forward. Um, you know, folks said that waiting is an open opportunity but you're so right, give yourself permission. Um, folks are saying, thanks for being you. Um, so your authentic self is definitely shining. And one of the P words I think of when I, when just in this short time is posture. Your, mm. your posture and just, you know, I think that your posture has to be available to receive what mm. is coming. And I mean, that shines forward when I, when I have this short opportunity to know you uh, today. Um, you know, finding your voice and accepting your voice is so liberating. And um, mm -hmm. when we go back to the shoulds, uh, implies guilt and mm. we should use could. And so folks are just, um, yeah. you know, folks are going nuts and, and everyone's saying, that's great, that's good. And <laughs> so- I like that. that. You're sharing you with us today. I know for myself, Dr. James, I feel super inspired and I'm not going to wait to feel even oh more inspired or to, I don't know, Cecily, another P word, be poked. I am going to. <laughs> <laughs> Prodded and poked. <laughs> I like it. We all, we all need to lose some weight, right? W-A-I-T. We all need to lose some weight. I got the P oh, word. I like that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I like that. Thanks, Shannon. Um, Renee? Yes. Again, listening to one of your appearances, podcasts, seeing you talking with Marcus Allen, Big Brothers, Big Sisters. I mean, you, you're all over the place. But you were talking about shifting your goal setting from box checking accomplishments to life changing experiences. Mm -hmm. Can you unpack, the, unpack that a little bit? Yeah, I think, um... One of the uh, failures that we as adults um, can do for children is to um, instruct them that you have to attain a certain thing um, in order to be successful. So when we say you have to strive for, again, the CEO corner office, that was my thing. That was a box checking thing. 
So, right. you know, having these tangible um, lists of things that you should strive to, I think that's completely wrong <laughs> because once you arrive at that thing, you'll either realize that you've missed the journey, you realize that you really don't want to be there anyway, or maybe you should be somewhere else, or there's so much that you're missing. And it sounds cliche to say, you know, enjoy the journey, but there's so much power in that. So I've made kind of my personal goals to be more about the experience, more about the relationships, more about the learning, more about the memories than the thing. Um, so when I think about, I, I often say I'm not my title. You know, so when people say, you know, who are you? I very rarely introduce myself as the title or the hat that I wear because there's so much more to us than just that title, that role that we're playing. Um, you know, the mother, wife, spouse, partner, you know, whatever it is, there's so much more. But if there is, you know, if you think about the experiences, the journey in those roles, that's who you are. That's, that's what makes you, you. That's what shows up when you wear that hat. You're drawing from all of those experiences. You're drawing from, you know, that journey, those relationships, those memories. And that's what you get in that role. So I try to divorce myself from the box checking and the title and the, th you know, the this and the that, but really try to focus on that path. Um, and all of the soft stuff that often gets overlooked, but that's makes that's what makes us, <laughs> you know, that's what and, and you share that approach or that construct with others and they push back. What do you think limits them from adhering to that philosophy? What are they afraid of? Why are they just checking the boxes? I mean, what's that about? Yeah, I think we're told to, you know, we're taught to check the box. We're taught to map everything out and you have to do this and then this and then this and then it looks like this so we're prescribed everything another p word Shannon, I <laughs> <laughs> we're prescribed everything um and so i think there's fear in going against that because you've been taught for so long you know that that's what it should be for instance you know when i first wanted to go to japan my mom had a fit you know, why would you want to do that? What, who does that? Why would you want to do this? Why would you do all of these things? Um, because we were raised to, you go to school, you buy your house, you have your kids, you do this, you know, it's, and it's kind of these check box checking things that we do and not the experience of it. So I think the other part of it is, and it goes back to that introspection, you really have to have a heart to heart with yourself, you know, and you have to really be ready mm. To, to seek the experiences and know that if it doesn't work out or if, you know, the experiences is, is not what you wanted it to be, then you change it. Let's, let's stay there. Let's stay there. That heart <laughs> to heart. You're having that heart to heart with yourself. What are you saying to yourself? What questions are you asking? What do you think? Good question. My heart to hearts often sound like, what's that feeling? So I'm a, a physical you know, like I'll get tension in my shoulder. And so I'll zoom into the shoulder and say, what's that? Where is that coming from? Um, and then think about when I first noticed that feeling, or maybe it's a tingling in your gut, or maybe it's your, you know, wringing of your hands. So oftentimes for me, the subconscious things manifest physically. And so if I pay attention to my physical, then I can take it back, trace it back into, you know, the, the subconscious. And then it oftentimes 
leads itself, it leads me to a decision I have to make or an experience that I'm in or something that I'm going through. And so in that moment, then I say, okay, where are we? Why am I feeling this? You know, what's the worst that could happen? What's the best that could happen? Um, can I change it? Is it within my power? Those are the kind of questions that I ask myself. Um, and usually I don't get very far <laughs> because after the, what's the worst that can happen? It's not, nothing's that bad, <laughs> you know, and things can be changed. So I just try to have a, a lot, I'm a very rational, logical person as well. So I try to work through the logic of it and then let that kind of drive where I go from there, but listening to the body first. That's good. That's good. Uh, I know you're very planned and organized, however, it's my show. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> so it, and you know, I'm a speaker. I speak all over the world. I love doing keynotes. So we're going to get a, a Renee mini keynote. <laughs> I, I want you to look right at the camera. You got 30 seconds. The audience is there waiting. This video is going to be on YouTube. So people will be hearing it over and over and over again. Give them 30 seconds on finishing this year and starting next year, what do we have to do or could we do? What could we consider? The year is winding down. What words do you have for them in many keynote fashion? I'm going to be quiet. Mic check, mic check, give you the mic. <laughs> Lean in and do you. <laughs> 2020 has been a year like no other. 2020 has been one that we had not planned for, we weren't prepared for, and I know many of us came into the year thinking this is the year of crystallized vision, this is the year that I'm going to see straight and see clear, and if you're anything like me, this has been that. It has been a year that has crystallized my vision and has allowed me to see straight, to cut through all of the noise and all of the clutter and all of the chaos and really reveal the character of who I am, as well as the character of who we are as a nation, as a people, as a world. So I implore you to lean into that, lean into that crystallized vision and carry it into 2021 and allow it to propel you to do all of the, the relearnings and all of the things that you had done and, and learned about yourself and about the world in 2020 and exercise that in 2021. Lean into your fears, lean into your passions, lean into that curiosity. Um, you will be amazingly surprised on the other side of it. There's nothing that you can't do in 2021. Ding. Bam, <laughs> bam. Shan, Shan. <laughs> All I keep thinking to myself is curiosity did not kill this cat. You know what I mean? <laughs> did not. No, she was like, Elbowing out of the way. I love, at least the biggest takeaway, I mean, there's so many, Dr. James, but for me is do it afraid, right? Like do what you don't know. You don't have yeah. to have answers. Oh. You've got nothing to lose. You really don't. <laughs> You've got nothing to lose. Renee, it's to say thank you would be an understatement. You brought your wisdom, you bought your vulnerability, your experiences. You have blessed us during this last hour. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll have to get you back to bring some more from the little girl, the little 
curious, curious great girl from Westchester. From Westchester. <laughs> so for those of you who are listening and watching, I told you, I told you this was going to be a profound show. We, we talked about curiosity. We talked about being afraid and doing it anyway. We talked about healing. We talked about history. And we talked about ending the year and moving to 21. 2021 with a bang. Join us next week. We're going to keep raising the bar. And remember, you were just gympathic. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.